thrilling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Okay, good morning. Welcome back to the Patrick Madrid Show. Uh, as ever, the number is 888-914-9149. We are open for business and there's space available. So feel free to call right now, 888-914-9149. Email patrick at relevantradio.com. And I'll see how many of your emails I can get to today. Cyrus, you, I'm sure you remember Jerry Seinfeld and the TV show Seinfeld. What's the deal with remember? bringing up Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> this early on a Friday? It is. It was really funny. Yes, and for those purists out there, and I know you're there, um, and I'm with you. Yeah, there were some episodes that were raunchy. I grant you that. So I'm not giving my imprimatur to the Seinfeld show. Um, there were some very funny episodes, and it was a kind of a unique, unique form of humor that he pioneered in the 90s. Oh, he was working a lot long before that, but it became a super hit in the 90s. And people today, they still find it very funny. So he's out there doing comedy. He does stand-up. He does shows and the occasional movie and things like that. Um, he doesn't need to work, obviously. He's got massive money from just the Seinfeld show when he was doing it, not to mention the residuals. So he said for like, hey, did you know that Matthew Perry, Cyrus, I never watched Friends, but they were earning a million dollars an episode when the season concluded. And probably for a goodly five or six years before that, they renegotiated their contract. That in itself is interesting, isn't it? Could you imagine making a million dollars per episode? Uh, yeah, I remember when that news broke. And I, I just yeah. couldn't fathom. These guys, <laughs> they act, they, they work. Yeah, I mean, they work hard. Sure, actors work yeah. hard. But a mm -hmm. million dollars an episode, 22, 24 episodes a season. Mm -hmm. And then you got syndication rights. Well, that's wow. yeah, th that's the part that really blew my mind because that TV show has been off the air for maybe not quite as long as Seinfeld has been off the air. But it's been off the air for easy 20 years, right? And um, I didn't know this until I read the obituary of Matthew Perry, the one of the actors who died. Um, they were making each of the cast members, and I think David Schwimmer, one of the cast members, was the one who led the charge to negotiate this. Not only did they get per person a million dollars per episode, but he, he um, Matthew Perry, was annually, he didn't have to get out of bed, he didn't have to do anything, and the residuals were paying him and the other cast members $20 million a year. Whether he got out of bed or didn't get out of bed. $20 million a year, every year. That's a lot of money. I hope that there are some relevant radio listeners among the cast of Friends. Maybe Jerry Seinfeld will hear this and love relevant radio and make a big donation. That would be great. Anyway, so Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> is out. <laughs> I leave a popcorn trail. I know exactly where I'm All going. Right. <laughs> I know how to get where I want to go. Um, and if I ever forget, just remind me. So he's out doing comedy, and this happened. Here's a, some audio of Jerry Seinfeld just recently, like I'm guessing within the last week or so. And he's out uh, doing the, the comedy set. And as usually happens, a heckler starts up with him, 
And let's take a listen well, as to how he handles it. Yeah, this is an interviewer. The interviewer literally oh, is asking him this okay, question. Okay, this is a different clip then. Okay, my mistake. I thought we were going to go to the stand-up. So you're right, Cyrus. He's, can you flesh it out a little bit more? He's being interviewed, and the interview guy probably, he can't believe he's going to interview Jerry Seinfeld. And he winds up blowing it. Yeah, he's basically baiting him and, and saying, why, why is everyone inside? Spoilers, no, right. no spoilers. I do Just... one, one little note here. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld cusses twice in this audio, so... It's, it's did not, you bleep that out? I did. I, I just Good. I just took it out. Uh, okay. So if you hear a little jump, it's just me taking out a very rare curse from. The, he rarely uh, curses. It, it is rare, but uh, yeah. he's his, his, one thing I like about him. He's, his anger is is provoked. I think. You know how you can tell when Jerry Seinfeld's angry? His he pulls his lips back, and you see his teeth. You know that move he makes where he's he just like gritting his teeth. <laughs> he pulls his lips back. So while he's yeah. saying this to this guy, he has his teeth gritted. Yeah, you Grit? can see it. Gritted? All right, here we go. All right. I have noticed that most of the guests are mostly white males of 22 episodes. Yeah, let's had. get into that. No, I, <laughs> but, but you, you take a look over here, Peter. What do you see? A lot of, a lot of whiteies. What's going on here? Oh, this really, but go ahead. People think it's it's the census or something? I mean, this has got to represent the, the actual pie chart of, of, of America. Who cares? It's just funny. You know, funny is the, is, the, is the world that I live in. You're funny, I'm interested. You're not funny, I'm not interested. Okay. And, and I have no interest in gender or race or anything like that. But everyone else is kind of with their little calculating. Is this the exact right mix? You know, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that's, uh, to me, it's anti-comedy. Bingo. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really good. And spur of the moment, off the cuff. Probably he's dealt with stuff like that before. But just the look on this clueless reporter or the interview guy he's trying so hard to wedge this you know social orthodoxy into the interview he wants so badly to try to i don't know what's he trying to do take him down or something but jerry seinfeld masterfully handled that and i think you know we can learn from that because comedy aside it's just it's typically not relevant to much of anything that we have to deal with in our day-to-day -day lives. Some people want to make it something um, more than it is. Now, there are times, of course, when people are being discriminated against. That's wrong, obviously. We should seek to redress that. But you'll notice the subtle reverse discrimination. What if he had said, well, I mean, typically, Jerry, you seem to have like a lot of black people on your show, black men. That guy would have, there'd be a smoking crater where he once stood talking about the interviewer. You seem to have like a lot of gay people. Jerry, what's up with that? He could start doing the Jerry Seinfeld routine. And that wouldn't fly. So it is a form of reverse racism because it's singling out a particular group of people, in this case white, just because of their skin color. And that's wrong too. So I wanted to share that with you. Hey, hey, hey. who wants to have some fun? <laughs> I do, I do. Now, are you just saying you want to have fun, or do you really want to have fun? I really want to have fun. I'm just saying I want to have some fun. <laughs> it's a microcosm of this show. Wouldn't you say, Cyrus? I think so. I, I love it. <laughs>
Uh, I guess I'm George. <laughs> yeah, probably. Young Thomas would have to be Kramer. You're laughing on... You think so? I don't think so. I don't, I don't know. No, He's not Newman. So. Maybe Matt Beardsley, maybe. Give him some extra, <laughs> extra caffeine in his coffee, maybe. No, I don't think I don't think Young Thomas would do that. So sorry, Young Thomas. Actually, he's not here today. Um, anywho, let's get on to the next audio. We have another audio now. Do, do we have the reparations audio available? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. So this is something I noticed uh, from uh, Calvin. Hmm, I want to make sure I give his name right because he's somebody I follow on Twitter. He's a he, he was an Anglican deacon, and he wound up leaving, I think he left the Church of England, Father Calvin Robinson, he's been um, ordained a priest in the old Catholic Church, as I understand it. I believe he's no longer connected to the Church of England. He's in England, very erudite guy. We played some audio from him in days gone by here on this program. So if you're interested, it's Calvin Robinson. You'll see his avatar, he's smoking a pipe. Looks like it's cold outside because he has a scarf around his neck. Anyway, this is a, uh, a debate. Now, you're going to hear one side of this debate, or in one part of one side of this debate, by Rafe Heidel Mankoo, M-A-N-K-O-O. And it's at Cambridge University, and there's a debate on about slavery and colonialism and reparations. Like, you know, sh you should have to pay reparations for slavery. And it's a hot topic. It's certainly hot here in these United States. It's hot there in England right now. And England is certainly, and not just England, but, but the United Kingdom in general, is certainly every bit as far left as we are here in, in these United States. So this is in front of students, and they all look rather young. I don't know if they're like first-year Cambridge students. Uh, they could easily be juniors in high school by the look of them. But you're going to hear Rafe... Uh, Heidel Manku, who I believe is either ethnically Pakistani or Indian, probably Indian if I had to guess, but he has the posh British accent. And he's explaining to these kids why reparations is not a good idea and why people today shouldn't have to pay reparations. I'll let him make the case for you. And when you see the video, right now you'll just hear it. This is theater of the mind. But there are students, male and female, all around him, behind him, on either side of him. This is in the debate hall at Cambridge. And when you actually see the video, you see how uncomfortable they are. They're fidgeting, they're frowning. Uh, one of the girls kind of gives this head cocked to one side, like she can't believe what she's hearing. And uh, there are a few attempts along the way to interrupt him because they don't really want to hear what he has to say. But I'd like you to hear what he has to say. It's not very long, only several minutes, and I'll pop in here and there so you know that it's still me. But this is Rafe Heidelmanku at Cambridge University in England talking about why we shouldn't have to pay reparations. You know, in recent months, we've seen the issue of slavery and colonialism expand beyond campuses, as we've now got, of course, from Barbados to Jamaica, prominent Caribbeans, uh, also calling for Britain to pay reparations for slavery and the consequences of colonialism. And Madam Speaker, were we engaged in this debate in 1807 or 1833, I likely would have crossed the floor to support the motion opposite. Because, of course, the victims of the horrendous horrors of slavery would have been alive and deserving of damages. 
But it's not 1807, it's not 1907, it's not even 2007. Over two centuries have passed since Britain led the world as the first empire in history to abolish slavery and the right of reparations died long ago because reparations are fundamentally about matters of tort law. The purposes of damages, restoration of reparation is to restore the victim, the slave, to the position they were in before the damage occurred, slavery. The actual victim only can receive damages, not their descendants. And therein lies the rub, because some six or seven generations separate those alive today from their British Empire slave ancestors. And whilst not just yet, thank you so much. Whilst it's undeniable that 19th century Let's slaves suffered... Second. So they, they couldn't quite contain themselves. They had to interrupt this guy because they can't just like shut off their opinions and listen for a while and maybe learn something. They want to start heckling him. And he's not right now. Well, you know, wait your turn, so to speak. So here he goes. Whilst it's undeniable that 19th century slaves suffered unspeakable horrors, in what way can this lead one to conclude that their great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren are also victims and deserving of reparations too? On the contrary, from Britain to the Caribbean, the descendants of slaves today have a far better and higher quality of life than they would have had had their ancestors remained in Africa. And that's an indisputable fact. Well, if you let me carry on, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. Well, first I ask you, is a current descendant of a slave ethically entitled to benefit from their ancestors' sufferings? And who should pay? Is it ethical for an innocent person today to be culpable for the sins of their forefathers? Now, CARICOM, which is the Caribbean body calling for reparations, wants British taxpayers to pay. But why? Out of a population of millions, there were only 3,000 slave owners in Britain. The vast majority of the population of Britain descend from people whose lives are one of abject poverty and hardship, working in hellish conditions akin to serfdom. Why should they, as taxpayers, pay reparations? It's not just yet. Thank you so much. 16% of the... So these kids cannot contain themselves. They, they're hardwired to interrupt and to try to heckle this guy, and he's not allowing it to happen. And that's part of what makes this so instructive is to see... He just keeps pushing forward. It's okay, we'll get to that. Don't worry, we'll, you'll have your turn kind of thing. But what I find fascinating, not only about the message that he's delivering, that these kids have never in a million years have even heard, but that they don't know what to do with it. They can't seem to thoughtfully consider the point he's making because it's so outside their frame of reference that all they can think to do is like hyperactive kids in class, they just jump up and they blurt out, but they don't listen. And I'm hopeful that some of them at least will come away from what he has to say with a different perspective on things. Okay, let's continue. 16% of the British population is now also foreign born. So why should they pay for reparations? What about the descendants of slaves living in Britain today? Why should people from Trinidad and Tobago living here pay reparations to people in Jamaica? Then again, why is the demand for reparations always focused and framed in terms of Britain? Why are no activists asking for reparations from the African states that were equally complicit in slavery? Should they not pay reparations? They provided the slaves that were transferred over the ocean, and millions more slaves were kept 
in slavery in Africa by other Africans, just as were being transported across the Atlantic. Why does nobody ever actually speak about that unpleasant truth? What about the Arabs and the Muslims who bought and sold African slaves for centuries before the British arrived and continued to do so into the 20th century until the British and the French tried to stop it? And indeed, what about the slavery that carries on today? The International Labour Organization says that currently approximately seven in every 1,000 Africans is a slave, 10 million people. In 2017, CNN reported hundreds of slaves are sold every week in Libya. So much energy is given to historic reparation and the historic plight of slaves. I would have more time for the argument if the people actively, actively pursuing that course of action were equally vocal about surely the far more horrendous plights of slaves today, where there are more slaves today in bondage, in slavery, then crossed over the Atlantic. So where are the protests outside the Nigerian High Commission? Where are the protests outside the embassies of Niger, which has 800,000 slaves today? What about Mali and Chad and Sudan and Cameroon? It's almost as if there's an ulterior motivation behind the call for apologies and reparations exclusively from Britain. And the U.S. And how far should we... No, I, I would love to, and normally I would, maybe a bit later on, but I'm getting into the swing of things now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how about this? How this is just so good. All right. Um, you're listening to the dulcet vocal stylings of one Rafe Heidel Manku, M-A-N-K-O-O. -O. Uh, by his appearance, I would guess him to be ethnically Indian. He's British, as you can tell, and he's addressing Cambridge University students in a debate format, and I want to give a thanks to... Father Calvin Robinson on Twitter, whom I follow, for uh, posting this video. It's really good. And there's a few more minutes left of it, but we're going to take a break, press pause, and come back. And then you hear the remainder of this gentleman's, I wouldn't call it an impassioned speech, but it was, it's certainly a very incisive and trenchant commentary on why it's, it's wrong-headed to expect you to pay reparations for terrible things that were done to, let's say, slaves um, 160, 70 years ago. He's making the case for why that's a wrong-headed idea. And the kids are still squirming in the background. So we'll take a break. We'll come right back to this, finish it up, and then go to your phone calls. The number to call to be on the air, 888-914-9149. Be right back. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester. An Illinois life insurance company not available in all states. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Join the conversation at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. So my question to you is, it's a rhetorical question, but it could become a real one. Would you like to pay, <clears throat> excuse me, would you like to pay reparations for slavery? Slavery was heinous. It was abominable. It was hellish for so many people who suffered under slavery. And, of course, the, the fat cats who made a lot of money by owning slaves, not every slave owner did, but regardless, 
It was a terrible thing, and people suffered terrible injustices. Families split apart, murders, rapes, you name it. It was just a terrible, terrible thing. And we should always remember that stain on our American history so that it should never be repeated again. But does it mean that it would be equitable in the true sense of the word, not in the modern ideological sense of the word? Would it be truly equitable? Would it be uh, appropriate? Would it be ethical to force you to pay reparations for things that took place 150, 60, 70, 200 plus years ago? Is that really fair is another way to put it. So if you're just tuning in now, you missed the first part of a presentation at Cambridge University by a British gentleman by the name of Rafe Hadel Mankoo, M-A-N-K-O-O, if you want to look him up. And he's at Cambridge speaking in a debate format in front of an audience of college students, all of whom are just beside themselves. They can't even believe that this guy is saying, no, you really shouldn't have to pay reparations. He just got done going through a series of different countries and pointing out the hundreds of thousands and perhaps even collectively numbering into the millions of slaves in this present day. And African countries, Muslim African countries, by the way, he talks about what about all the countries that supplied the slaves? They had slaves of their own in Africa during the time of the, the slave trade when that was flourishing. And so why not ask those countries to pay reparations? Nobody's asking Nigeria or Congo or any of the other countries aforementioned in Africa. Nobody's even thinking about asking them to pay reparations for slavery, but they were hip deep in it too. They were the ones who had their own slaves rounding up people in the countryside, enslaving them, and then selling them to the white slave traders. They were just as much part of that as the U.S., or in his case, he's talking about Great Britain. So why is nobody demanding that citizens of those countries pay reparations? And so on. Now he's going to get into kind of the, why this is, for, for this generation right now, why this is not the right solution to that problem. And there are a few more minutes left, but I want you to hear it without any further interruption. And how far should we take this? Should Britain seek reparations for the Barbary slaves? One million Europeans, at the same time as Africans were going over the Atlantic, one million Europeans were enslaved by the Ottoman states of Morocco, Algeria, and Tunisia. And it carried on after the abolition of the slave trade by the British. Should Britain demand reparations from North Africa? Of course not. It's time to move on, and so should we. But let's turn away from slavery and expand our view to colonialism more broadly. What disadvantage has colonialism actually caused to those living in the former British colonies of the Caribbean? Let's pause for a and moment. I'd like to frame what he's about to tell you, just in context, because you're hearing a lot about um, th this this push for anti-colonialism, to decolonize. This is a very trendy term right now. A lot of people are using it. They're using it against uh, in the, the rhetoric against Israel and so forth. So th this whole idea of being anti-colonial, because colonial is a bad thing, and it only brings with it just terrible things for the people who are colonized, the areas that are colonized, he's going to burst that bubble right now. What disadvantage has colonialism actually caused to those living in the former British colonies of the Caribbean? 
And disadvantaged compared to whom? And this is to go back to the point that you asked. Most of the former colonies of the Caribbean are now successful middle-income countries. The GDP per head of the Bahamas is higher than Portugal and is comparable to Spain and Italy. You never hear that, do you? Barbados, Antigua and Barbuda, St. Kitts and Nevis and other former British slave colonies have higher rankings on the UN's Human Development Index than Brazil, Mexico or many other Spanish-speaking South American countries. How has the British Empire disadvantaged the Caribbean nations? It's not clear to me. But let's test this further. And let's go and look and compare the nations of the Caribbean with modern West Africa, the original homelands of Caribbean slaves, to see what life is like there. GDP per capita in Benin is $1,430. In Barbados, it's $17,000, over 10 times higher. Life expectancy in Benin is 62, in Barbados it is 79. <coughs> Rather than writing checks to well-off areas of the world, why not focus on countries and areas that are actually impoverished and require aid? Financial aid not attached to alleged attempts to cleanse one's soul. It can't, it can't be clearer. While slavery was abhorrent for those who were enslaved, had they stayed in Africa, the lives of their descendants today would be unquestionably worse. So what exactly actually is Britain being asked to pay reparations for? Because Britain wasn't the first empire in Africa, in the India, in the Americas, but it was the most benign, and, ben and the benefits from it far exceed those, for example, of the Islamic and Indian empires that carved up India, of the Ashanti Empire, of the Dahomey Kingdom, and all of the hundreds and thousands of slaves that were ritually sacrificed every year in Benin. And the Benin Bronzes were mentioned. The Benin Bronzes commemorates those who actually owned slaves. So whilst on, one, on the one hand I can understand why you would protest Coulson's statue, why is there a celebration of the Benin Bronzes when they also commemorate slave owners? He's referring here to the country of Benin in uh, Western Africa. Um, and in his own ethnicity, this is Rafe Hadel Manku, who is addressing students at uh, Cambridge University in England on this topic of reparations and why it's a bad idea. Why it's a misguided idea would probably be a better way to put it. And the reasons why it's a misguided idea. And so he's giving you a bit of a, an overview of the problems that exist in Africa in this regard. But he's also going to talk a little bit about India. And he himself, as I say, he appears to be Indian by extraction. So he's speaking as somebody who came from an area that the British Empire colonized. And he'll talk a little bit about what did that colonization do for the people of India. Here goes. So why are we apologizing for Britain? Are we apologizing to Britain for introducing nutrition and food storage policies that led to a decline in the subcontinent's processes of famine that happened every 40 years in India there was a famine? The population of India soared from 170 million to 450 million over the course of the Raj because of medicine, health and accurate and proper nutritional standards and food storage compared to how it had been. There had never been in history of India such a surge in population growth. And let's not forget also what Britain did for women's rights because I think it's fair to say that it's thanks to the British Empire that we have had the progression of women in Africa and India through society. Because, of course, India's history is one of female oppression. It was the British who abolished Sutti 
the burning of widows on the funeral pyre of their husbands. It was the British that stopped the infanticide of young girls. And it was the British who allowed Hindu widows to remarry. I'm sorry these you don't like the Don't stop it, but these kids cannot facts. handle it. Universities were brought into Africa and India by the British. It's quite... A, there will be no there will be no system of democratic legislatures within these regions as Steven Pinker has written pre-state societies before the British Empire arrived were on average far more violent than even the most brutal of modern states so whilst many wrongs were committed in the 19th and 20th centuries the modern success of Britain's former colonies today in the 21st century is due in large part to their colonial inheritance. The English language and the common law that enable them to become global players, their civic institutions, the police, the military, the civil service, the judiciary, parliament, universities, every region of the world you go to, British colonies are the ones most likely to be the most developed, the wealthiest, and the most democratic. I therefore have no opposition in opposing tonight's motion, but I'd like to end by quoting the great black civil rights activist and socialist Bayard Rustin, a friend of Martin Luther King Jr.'s and posthumous recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom from Barack Obama, who said, if my great-grandfather picked cotton for 50 years, then he may deserve some money, but he's dead and gone, and nobody owes me anything. Thank you. Mm. It speaks for itself. Yes, I've been editorializing. That's true. Um, and I will retweet this. So if you're interested, you can see this. And it, as I say, half of half of it is the reaction of these students. They just cannot deal with it. I don't know how else to put it. It makes them very uncomfortable and they try to break in, but they can't because he just keeps going. Now, this is just this portion of the debate. It's longer. And of course, you didn't hear the other side and we don't know what the rebuttal is. But uh, it's a good conversation starter, and you'll find it on my Twitter feed, at Patrick Madrid. Just retweeted it now. 888-914-9149. Real quick, before we go to the phones, Liz wrote in a moment ago to say, my ancestors fled Germany to the Ukraine because of religious persecution. Then they fled Ukraine because the Russians were coming after them. Back in Germany, the economy crashed, and they lost everything. So they came to America. Why should we pay reparations for something we have nothing to do with? Most people have suffering and great hardship in their ancestry. Good point, Liz. Good point. Uh, let's see what Michael has to say in Las Vegas. Good morning, Michael. Welcome. Hey, I was just getting off speaker. Hey, um, so I want to uh, throw an interesting parallel, and I mm -hmm. want to thank you guys for everything that you do. And everyone knows that Cyrus is the heart of the show, Patrick. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and, and, anyway. Um, Duly noted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... I just want to throw a parallel out there. So say my great, great, great grandfather, they found irrefutable evidence that he murdered somebody back when he was alive. And so now they came back to me and go, you know what? We didn't know it was him. So you're going to have to serve his time. Yeah. You didn't commit the crime, but you're his descendant. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're coming to me saying that I have to do that. So, uh, Little backstory, I was raised, my mother was fantastic, Catholic woman, beautiful, uh, but we lived next to an African-American family. We were best of friends. They talked all the time. 
I didn't even know what prejudice was until I was 18 going to the Navy, and I couldn't understand why people were not liking other people mm-hmm. because of their color or anything. It didn't make any sense to me because my mother instilled that in us that everybody, to love everybody. Mm-hmm. So if, if I abhor slavery on all counts, I think it's stupid. I don't believe in what they did back then. I don't believe, why should I? I'm not them. They were them back then. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have to pay a reparation because I, I'm I'm not them. I don't believe in them. I would never own a slave. It, here's how the here's how the people who promote reparations would respond to you because they have responses to these things. Everything that uh, Rafe um, Hadel Manku I want to say his name right. Everything he said, they have rebuttals to. Here's what they would say to you. They'd say, okay but you don't really realize the dynamic that's set in because of slavery. So let's take slavery here in this country. The, the slaves themselves, of course, they were about as abused as you could possibly be short of death. And of course, they're not here, but this system set up a syndrome in this country. Hear me out, Michael, because I'm giving you what the other side would say. It, oh, no, it, I'm listening. It, it set in motion a syndrome that severely disadvantaged their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, et cetera, et cetera, and severely or at least tremendously advantaged white people. So even though you didn't own the slave, even though you didn't whip the slave, even though you didn't buy the slave, you're benefiting today from slavery. And the black people of today are still suffering economic disadvantage, lack of access to jobs. They have a whole list of of grievances. That's why you should pay because you've benefited from slavery indirectly and they are still being disadvantaged. That's the way they would turn your argument against you. And how would you respond to that? Uh, Just by simply saying, but I wasn't the one that disadvantaged them. But you're still reaping the benefits. I, so I'm, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate, Michael. I agree with you. Don't get me wrong. But to play devil's advocate, they'd say, okay, that's fine. But you're still unfairly, in a sense, kind of participating insofar as you're benefiting from the vestiges of slavery. So you're still participating whether you know it or not. And this gets into the whole nonsense about white privilege and things of that nature. But just as far as reparations are concerned... Their argument is that you still benefit, therefore you personally should pay. And, and I would say to them, but I had no, I had no say in the benefit. Does that make sense? What I'm trying oh, to yeah. say? Oh totally. yeah, I'm here where I'm at, and I came from a very poor family. I, I had to work through things and everything myself. So um, I didn't see any of that white advantage. <laughs> I didn't see any of the any of the stuff that they're talking about, so I would say no, I, no, you're yeah. misunderstanding. You're thinking every white person has the advantage that you're talking about, and you're you're categorizing being in somewhat prejudice yourself, thinking that every white person has this advantage that you're talking about, and you would be grossly incorrect. I agree with you, and they would just be prepared that they would tell you that's just your white privilege speaking. You're blind to it. You're so privileged, you don't even, you're not even aware of it because you're so accustomed to it. And they'll smirk and laugh and, you know, dismiss you because all of your common sense goes out the window. 
when it comes to things like this. This is where the word equity comes in. In modern speak, equity does not mean equity the way it used to mean. It means, you know, that you've got something that you had an advantage for and somebody else didn't have an advantage. Therefore, what you got needs to be redistributed to that person. That's what they mean by equity. And it applies, it applies rather across the board. And to your point, Michael, you didn't do any of those things. And it's they're conspicuously silent when it comes to the various other groups that did participate, and even today participate, as, as uh, Mr. Manku pointed out, in slavery, even to this day. They're not protesting against the Muslim countries where this is tolerated. They're not demanding that Saudi Arabia and other Muslim countries make reparations for slaves. They're not asking any of the African countries who participated heavily in the slave trade. They're not asking them to pay reparations. It's a unique group of people. It's Western white organizations or, or countries rather like the UK, the United States, etc. And that too is telling I, I, when you I see think, who they don't uh, demand it from. I think I would have to then start my own thing for asking for reparations for uh, the indenture of my Irish ancestors that were indentured into slavery and my um, Polish ancestors that had a similar thing going on. So I would have to, I think I should start a thing where I should start uh, getting all of those groups together so that we can start trying to get people to pay us reparations for all the, the, the similar, in a way, slavery that we went through. Yeah, and let me know how that goes. I'll sign your petition. I will. I think Cyrus will too. Happened to the to the Irish and you know and everything. It's like that. It's like they're forgetting it. Slavery isn't just uh, what what, am I, what can I say? Just just uh, something for African Af mm -hmm. African people or African Americans. There were a lot of mm -hmm. other groups that were enslaved. That's true. I'll sign your petition. Let me know how that goes. <laughs> okay. All right. Great <laughs> talking to you called. guys. Let me get off the air so you can take another question. Well, appreciate that, Michael. Actually, we have to take a break. We'll do that, and we'll come back to more of the phone calls. The number is 888-914-9149. I have a solution, though, real quick. Try this on for size. What if everybody gets reparations? Everybody gets 40 bucks. Boom, reparations. Oh, Because everybody has got some kind of enslavement in their background. So how about that? They, they tried giving us free money a couple of years ago, and look how that's panning out. Now, so maybe maybe yeah. not that maybe not that idea, Patrick. And, and just to go out and make sure everybody understands, I am 101 million percent opposed to slavery and the horrible things that were done. It shouldn't even need to be said, but some people will say, it sounds to me like you're making light of slavery. No, I'm not. I'm not making light of slavery or the suffering or the disadvantages. All those things are certainly true. But if you're new to the conversation, you didn't hear this eight or nine minute soliloquy from Rafe Hadel Manku. This is at at uh, Cambridge University in England, in front of a, an audience of predominantly white students. And he's making the case very effectively as to why the demand for reparations is lopsided and misguided. And that's on my Twitter feed. If you're interested, you'll find it there at Patrick Madrid. Time for a break, and we'll be right back with more right after this. This hour is sponsored by Christendom College. Send your child to Christendom College's high school summer program, The Best Week Ever. Use promo code RELEVANTRADIO and get 50% off. Spots fill up very quickly, so apply today at thebestweekever.com. 
That's thebestweekever.com. you can believe in the patrick madrid show on relevant radio the proclaimers as i recall it's like they're one hit good hit though <laughs> it's, i think it's a quite the hit too like they're they're a big deal wherever in they're scotland. from in scotland scotland yeah, well why um, would i be playing uh I well i know why stuff. i know why because the march for life silly Ah, you get me. I listen to Relevant Radio. I know. Uh, March for Life in Washington is happening today, and you can participate even if you're not at the Walk for Life. I saw a tweet from Christendom College this morning saying that because of the snow in the area, the buses can't get to, to the campus to take the kids to Walk for Life, which is an hour away. So I feel bad for them. But wherever you are, and if you're at Christendom College, you can do this too. You can fast for life in solidarity today. Solidarity with the Unborn Babies and the Marchers, etc. You can go to relevantradio.com slash fast. And not only let us know how you plan to do a little mortification today, but also you can pick up a free copy of this wonderful little booklet. It's an e-book that will email it to you. And it will explain to you how to hold your own without getting flustered or without going on the defensive. If you're talking to somebody about abortion and you just don't know what the answers are, this booklet will give them to you. Martin in Miami says, I'm going to offer a full day of fasting today on Friday. No food, no liquor, only water, coffee and Diet Coke. Dear baby Jesus, he says, please save all the unborn children. And Dennis in Dayton, Ohio, where we have a brand new station. Shout out to all of the Daytonites and Cincinnatiites. Welcome to the family. Uh, he says, I'm going to fast from chocolate and my bad attitude at work. Cyrus, getting some ideas here? <laughs> I'm, I'm taking notes. <laughs> you get writing them down? And Alan from Attleboro, Massachusetts is saying he's going to be fasting from negative thoughts. All good things. And you can participate. Just go to relevantradio.com slash fast. And by the way, if you use hashtag fast for life on your social media posts, that will help build momentum. So check it out. Uh, to the phones now. Let's go to Steve in Riverside, California. Hello, Steve. Um, good morning. I just wanted to say I don't think it's that insane for us to mull over some type of societal boost for those who are African Americans who have. Ex- did Did you cut out there? It sounded like you didn't finish your sentence. So you don't think it's a bad idea, or at least we should consider. Dare we call them reparations? Would that be the right word for it, or financial assistance? Would that be the right word for it? Things like Yeah. Okay. Wasn't that already done, though? I mean, Lyndon Baines Johnson, when he was president, he rolled out the Great Society program in which billions and billions and billions of dollars have been federally uh, put into exactly that same kind of thing for disadvantaged, uh, low-income minorities, especially black people. So we've been doing that since the 60s. That is good. Isn't that true? Your phone's getting a little warbly there. Maybe you need to stand in a different part of the room. Can you repeat what you just said, Steve? Yeah, I was just, well, that, that is a fair point. Are people still, you know, benefiting to this day? And is it really having a substantial impact on the African-American community, would you say? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I don't think it is. I mean, I think we've wasted or at least mis, misspent or, or I don't even know quite the right word for it. It's been misdirected, this huge bureaucracy of the Great Society programs under Johnson and subsequent programs from later presidents and later Congresses. Vast amounts of money have been channeled into exactly this kind of thing to subsidize food and housing, the um, affirmative action programs that have been enshrined in our law to give advantages for school, education, things like that. I mean, I, I think it would be a fair question to, to ask, you know, where does it end? Where does it that end? Where, where do we say enough? You know, we've done so much. I think that, too, is a fair question. What do you think? I mean, that is a fair question, obviously. There, there should be an end. But when it, you said, for example, like affirmative action, I mean, mm -hmm. people, conservatives are still complaining about that. They hate it. They, they rally against it constantly. You know what I mean? And I can see why, obviously. Yeah, I don't hate it. I mean, I'm, I'm not I, I want to see everybody, especially people who really need help to get help. I'm in favor of that. The problem is that a good idea like affirmative action can be implemented badly, and I think often has been. Just take a look at, um, look at Harvard and some of these other elite schools where if you are the most eligible, the most competitive applicant to go to that school and you have the highest grades and the best SATs and all of the above, but you're white, they screen you out. And that's not fair. I mean, it's a form of reverse discrimination. So I'm in favor of helping, let's say, black people or any other particular group. If there's a genuine need, let's help them and let's hold the doors open for them, but not at the expense of other people who are being discriminated against unjustly. That's where I would have a problem with affirmative action. If it could have been implemented better, I would, have, you know, I, I would see that as a positive. What do you think? If you, you know, are not a big fan of affirmative action, how about... If you're African-American, you know, descendant of slavery, so to speak, you get free health care or black casinos. What are your thoughts? Black casino, like Indian casinos? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? African-American casinos, you know, maybe a bit of land and then they get their own, you know, setup. They can, you know, what do you think? I think that wouldn't fly very far. <laughs> I don't think that would, um, I don't think that would be palatable for many people. Um, but it, we but, did it with the that Indians. Would be my argument, it, it, mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like anything's palatable. But when, when we like talk about trying to help the African-American community and the culture, which is quite poisonous in a lot of ways, I just, what, what can we do then? Oh, I think I already answered that Not though, Steve. Yeah. I mean, I'd said, haven't we been doing just that on a vast scale with the great society programs and subsequent programs countless billions of dollars, maybe into the trillions by now, I don't know, that have been channeled directly into the African-American community, jobs, food, subsidies, so many things that it's been, it's been being done since the 1960s. So I, I would say we can't ignore those things, can we? No, we can't. You're right. And that's something I'll be honest, you know, I wasn't even quite aware of the depth of those programs, although I have heard of them mm -hmm. in passing. I just don't know the extent to it or how effective they've been. My impression and, you know, I'm not an economist, obviously, but my impression is that it, those are well-intentioned efforts to help. And I'm all in favor of that. I really am. But at the same time, 
you've, you've got this bureaucracy that tends to get in the way and tends to make things a lot less efficient and so forth. And it, it, when you get the government involved like that, things tend to become unwieldy and wasteful and so on. So I, I'm with you, Steve, and I don't want to give you the idea that I'm not in favor of some kind of affirmative action to help people who really need it. I'm in favor of that. It doesn't bother me. I just want to see it administered in a way that doesn't involve reverse racism, you know, something that's fair, something that is is truly equitable. The hard thing is figuring out how to do that and satisfying everybody because a lot of people, that's not what they want. They want the special treatment for some groups and not for others, and that's what I object to. Yeah, and that makes sense. I just, it blows my mind. You know, there are people still alive. In fact, I think you shared a story once with your father about people who remember things like colored drinking fountains to try and act like those types of attitudes against those people, you know, don't still have an impact, you know, on those who are still alive today. That that, that is, I think it's something we should take into account. Like I say, it doesn't need to be a mountain of money. I think that's ridiculous, Mm -hmm. some of the stuff being proposed in California. But I, I do think that, the culture, you know, has been hit quite hard in the African-American community and rebuilding the culture is key. Of course, we've, you know, Mm -hmm. the church can definitely help with that, with what she teaches, but the, uh, you know, I don't think it's insane to try and say, Hey, is there anything else that can be done to help? That's all I wanted to say. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think I ever said it was insane. I certainly don't hold that view. I think it's misguided. That's the way I would approach this. And I think the gentleman who is speaking to the students at Cambridge university makes some really, really good points. That um, I would like to, yeah. And by the way, just as a thought, uh, one book I read recently is called Great Society by Amity Shales. And it is uh, a history of the the governmental program. So that helped me a lot to understand more of the details. If you're interested in going deeper, that might be something to check out. Anyway, Steve, thank you. I appreciate your call and your ironic spirit. Let's go not to a call (laughs) because... A man's got to know his limitations, or so I've heard. And we only have 60 seconds left. Uh, I have a note here from Mac, listening on the Relevant Radio app. He says, just like the talk of paying off school loans, the discussion to give out reparations has been used to get votes by Democratic po- Democrat politicians. As an Irish descendant whose ancestors had to leave for the United States when the British took food off the island during the potato famine, should we get reparations? We better talk to the British about that. Um, yeah, the, the Great Potato Famine in the 1840s. Millions of Irish folk left Ireland just so they could eat. And countless numbers of them died on the voyage over coming from, from uh, Ireland to the United States. Countless Irish folk died. And those that got here to the United States were treated like basically one step above slaves. Irish need not apply. Signs like that would be in the windows. And you know why? Largely because they were Catholic. And the waspy American society did not want any more Catholics. So, yeah, should you get reparations? That's interesting. I'll be right back. 